Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. Today we have a special treat, a person who I think raised me in the industry when I came on to Galderma many years ago. He was my leader, my support mechanism, the guy that invested in my crazy ideas. He's had a 10-year career in pharma, then went to aesthetics and did about seven years at Galderma, had crazy good launches, some amazing things that happened. Drew, welcome to our show. Thanks, Tiffany. I appreciate the introduction. Um, I like the fact that you say you worked for me. Because uh, I'll be honest, when you worked for me, it felt like I worked for you. So as long as I've known you, you've had uh, incredible uh, aptitude and great ideas. And i uh, glad we got to do some fun things together over the years and excited to be talking to you today, too. Well, you're in beautiful Miami at a big meeting down there and taking time away. So we appreciate that. But first of all, how is the meeting? How is AMWC US? Um, it's interesting. I think it's one that's probably still in its growth phase. Um, you know, it's over the convention center, which is always a little bit of a trek away from the hotels on South Beach. But, uh, you know, there's some great people, some great topics. Um, there's a never ending list of meetings uh, in aesthetics, um, but uh, catching up with a number of people and, and especially with my new role, I'm, you know, catching up and telling people kind of what's going on. So um, good to see people. But, uh, you know, certainly places that I would rather be. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you got to be in Miami. Sometimes you got to be on South Beach. Sometimes you got to be doing podcasts from a hotel with a cool green grass wall on your balcony. Life is tough for you, Drew. Well, I want to start with just people. Everyone knows you in the whole industry. If they don't know you, they've been living under a rock. But give our audience just an, an idea of kind of where you've come from. I'm not sure they know how much you've done with Galderma. I, I know if you guys don't know that Drew actually, like, I think invented the word expression for expression technology, all the acronym things. So you've done some pretty remarkable things. So give us your highlight reel. Yeah, uh, you know, I actually start before aesthetics. So um, I went to Duke undergrad, Michigan Business School, and then I worked for Eli Lilly and Company for 10 years. Uh, really interesting. I was in diabetes um, for 10 years, a bunch of sales and marketing jobs. And what I usually tell people is diabetes is a bunch of products that, one, you tend to really need them. Two, you really don't want them. And three, you want someone else to pay for them. Well, then you kind of get introduced to this world of aesthetics and you're like, well, I don't really need this stuff, but I really, really want it and I want to pay cash. So if you like businesses and strategy and marketing, um, that second thing is really, really exciting. So I joined Galderma about seven or eight and a half years ago, um, right when they kind of were sold from Valiant to Nestle. Uh, and then was there for seven years, uh, quite a wild ride. You know, when we were at Galderma, uh, we tripled the size of the company. I think we launched 10 FDA approvals, uh, new products and indications. Um, so had quite the launch track record, uh, had a great team, and we really kind of built the company uh, to great heights um, and uh, had a great fun, uh, named a lot of things to your point, and I think it made a pretty strong impact on the industry. So it was great. And then uh, about a year and a half or so ago, I got recruited over to Allergan by uh, an old mentor and colleague of mine from my Lily days uh, and had a nice time at Allergan, a great company, learned a lot. Uh, if you have a chance to kind of work at Allergan, you're in aesthetics, it's really hard to pass up and say no to. Um, so kind of saw it from that side as well. And then Allergan went through some changes last fall, 
And uh, I ended up uh, looking at a bunch of different opportunities and landed it on my feet here in one that I think is really, really exciting if you're forward looking in aesthetics. Yeah, I think you're a guy that sees the whole chessboard. You always have been that way. I, we used to laugh, Eric Bernard, about you. You could just like see everything happening all at once. Very strategic. And so I feel like as the industry's changed, you've had a significant part in all of that. And now in the new role, especially with private equity money coming into the industry, you know, all the things that are happening around franchises and chains and acquisitions. I mean, you're you're at the forefront of that. You guys have had an amazing run in a very short time. So I want to talk a little, little bit about your role there and what you do as a chief commercial officer and what that means coming into a group like AMP with your skill set, having all the industry knowledge to really make that company, you know, soar, grow, all the things it's doing right now. Yeah. So I can tell a little bit about it. So Advance is, uh, AMP is Advanced Metastatic Partners. Um, so it's a platform company uh, that is consolidating practices. And we like to say partnering with practices in the medical aesthetic space. So it started back in October uh, when the first set of practices were sold. A lady named Nicole Kiermonti, uh, who many know, she's been an uh, investor and leader and a dynamic uh, CEO for about 10 years in aesthetics and about 20 or 30 years overall, kind of with MSO models. So her set of practices were the first set of practices for AMP. Um, AMP is the, the financials behind it are a company called Leon Healthcare Partners. Um, it's the family office uh, of a uh, kind of local Dallas guy who has uh, made quite a bit of money over the years in, in a number of different ventures. So we're a little different than the traditional private equity model. Uh, we like to say we're kind of the alternative to the traditional private equity model. Uh, if you look at the you know, track record of Leon, it's really about building companies uh, for the long term, investing in things like training and education, great management teams. Uh, and he likes to build companies that, you know, sustain. Uh, it doesn't necessarily build companies just to sell. So that was pretty appealing to me from an AMP standpoint. But yeah, we've grown fast. So we started with uh, seven locations uh, with Nicole's kind of initial set of practices. We've closed a number of additional deals uh, along the way. We're at about 21 locations as of today uh, and have a really good pathway to continue that growth. So I think, you know, we've tripled here in about five months since forming. And I would hope that we're continuing that trajectory uh, over the next five months as well. It looks pretty good. I think we've got a great story to tell. Yeah, we've, we've had um, Ben Hernandez on from the SkyTel side of the business. We've had people who have, you know, wanted to go through an acquisition. You use the word partner. I think that you guys really do partner because you come alongside the practices and help them retain an identity of their own, but also grow into the AMP family. And so I think people who listen to our podcast are in all kinds of stages of their, you know, of their practice ownership. Many of them are scared to death of, of what's coming. Some of them are very excited about it. So can you speak to, you know, when a practice decides to come on board or to even start looking for a partner like AMP, what are the things that you guys look for that you say, this is a med spa that could be very successful under our model, or they've got some work to do to grow up a little bit, and then they'll be ready for us to come along? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think if you look generally at the kind of growth in this space. So I'm going to back up a little bit before I get directly to answer your question, Tiffany, because it's really interesting. This is kind of the, the mental challenge that I went through when I was looking for a new role last fall and I ended up AMP. As you look at kind of what's going on, you look at other industries, there's a lot of industries that have gone through this consolidation phase. Uh, and they usually end up at about 50% consolidation rates. If you look at aesthetics, we're at about 5%. And there's usually a lot of different models for consolidation. There's people who are trying to build national brands, a number of them building great practices doing that. There are people who are franchising and creating kind of franchise models um, nationally and regionally. That's a good model that will work as well. 
Um, and then there's people more like us um, who are trying to build something sustainable over the long run. There are people doing it more traditional private equity back kind of ways where you kind of consolidate and then sell. Um, thing I think like about AMP is their strategy is a little different. So I usually say, if you know the Marriott Bonvoy program, the best analogy is we're trying to build the autograph collection of aesthetics. Every practice we buy has something special and unique about their local brand in the local area. We don't want to lose that. We just want to take on some of the things that are a bit of a pain. Some of the operational aspects, how can you get better leverage with your marketing organization? So we kind of want to build that kind of Bonvoy support behind the scenes, so to speak. And it's not a perfect analogy, but I think it gives you a little bit of a sense. Um, as far as types of practices, I mean, Ben's a great friend of mine as well. Uh, he actually represented uh, Nicole when, when she sold to the LHP guys and we formed AMP. Uh, but generally with AMP, what we talk about is we want to buy good practices. And we want to then, like the first rule of medicine, do no harm, and then eventually figure out ways we can kind of grow more effectively together. Uh, other people have different models. Other people look to buy practices that maybe are having some struggles or have gone through some downtimes and turn them around. That's not our model. Um, other people just want to buy everything and totally leave it alone. Again, not quite our model. Uh, there are some things we want to do with the AMP where we feel like there's a lot of leverage um, to help you grow more effectively as partners. The other reason I talk about partners and not acquisitions is while we do acquire the practice, nearly everyone takes a piece of that acquisition price with AMP and puts it into the equity and gets shares of the bigger advanced metastatic partners company. So in that sense, we truly are all shareholders and partners in creating a much larger company uh, called AMP. So that's kind of a bit of the general kind of theory of what we're looking for. Again, we buy all kinds of practices. We buy very large practices. We buy very small practices. Um, but generally what we're looking for is people who want to have that partnership mentality around building something big that could change the industry versus I uh, just, you know, I'm at the end of my career and I want to sell out or I'm just too tired. I can't do this anymore. We do want partners who are going to help build the business over the long run. Well, I think it's interesting you mentioned that at the end because so many folks for so long have thought about an exit strategy is like I'm old or tired and I want to get out of it. Or now we're seeing these practices that are thriving. They're at the top of their game selling, right? We just saw, yeah, I think she know, you know, went with someone we've, we've got practices who are, you know, literally like, yeah, I would say printing money because we all do in aesthetics and they're making the decision to move over. So, you know, what compels a person? I think about strategy, you and I both are more of a scale kind of mindset about owning a part of the bigger organization, what we can do to move through it, have, you know, more leadership positions, more management positions, just the economies of scale. So to me, it's like a no brainer. But why would someone choose that, do you think, to say, I'm, I'm crushing it right now, but let me crush it along with a partner? Yeah, I think there's kind of a number of reasons. One, there's just like the operational component. So most people I talk to, not everyone, but most, like they started their business because they love a couple things. And usually it's, I love taking care of my clients or patients or consumers or whatever you want to call them. Um, and they tend to like to train people and educate people and provide amazing customer experiences. What they don't tend to love to do is look at data analytics, uh, run their payroll every week, uh, deal with HR or legal compliance issues. That's usually not the thing that drives most people. So I think there's an operational component because with AMP, we definitely offload some of that stuff, um, the pain points of running a business that then frees up your time to focus on the things that you love to do. Uh, there's certainly a financial component to it as well. Um, and the easiest thing to explain is you know, when you run a small business, there's a lot of risk. If you're just one of a, one or two injectors in your practice, you own the place as well, you know, God forbid anything bad happens to you, the value and the revenue in the business just goes away. So it's really hard to value that business at a very high level. Uh, but if you put a bunch of businesses together, you significantly decrease the risk. You can also significantly increase 
the types of investments you can make. Because you know, when you have 100 locations together, you can invest in different types of technology, different types of data, different types of marketing automation um, that are really hard to invest in when you're just a solo practice. And those investments do have really strong ROIs. So that bigger business is valued at a much higher level. So that kind of financial exercise is certainly a component to it as well. And I think the third thing is more of like a strategy and challenge. I've talked to a lot of people where they've been doing this for a long time or they've only been doing it for a few years and built amazing businesses. And they kind of look forward and they go like, I can do this and it's the same thing and it's going great. But this chance to get involved with a bigger company with you know some of the people that we've already kind of partnered with, like Steve Weiner and Eric Bernstein and Pureskin Medical Spa in Edmond, Washington, who are real thought leaders in the industry. Um, and I'm sure I left some people out, so I apologize. But um, a number of great practices and a lot more coming. The fact that you get to talk to those people and strategize and plan for the future and be part of something bigger appeals to quite a number of people. And then the final reason is when you talk to them, they're like, and I was just talking to Dr. Weiner today. He said part of the reason he did it is because it gave a great possibility for his staff. So it gave them a chance to participate in what this bigger company could be. It creates different career paths potentially as well. You know, his marketing manager may now have a chance to do marketing at a regional scale within AMP. Uh, one of his great injectors may now be able to be a trainer with an AMP and help train other people who are then great injectors. So there's a lot of potential benefits just from like career pathing and growth and how you can kind of take care of your people as well that I think end up appealing to a number of people who consider the partnership and acquisition process. Yeah, I mean, all those reasons are phenomenal. I think two people just get burned out of like owning it every day and doing it. They want to be the pie maker and not the pie store owner anymore. It just becomes exhausting. But you mentioned there at the well, end of it. Go ahead. You know, the other thing I'd add to it, Tiffany, is, you know, you've talked to a lot of people as well. At the end of the day, like when you're just running your practice, like you have to be the expert at everything. Like, honestly, that's very hard. Um, so if you could tap into me and my marketing team for expertise on social and digital and performance marketing and SEO and branding, well, that's pretty nice. Like if you can tap into like our operational experts who have actually built companies and stitched together you know, data infrastructures and understand how to roll out EMRs successfully because we can get leverage and implementation experts. Well, that's pretty nice. If you have a legal question, like our head of legal worked for 10 years at Bertadata, which is one of the most respected law firms dealing with all the compliance and legal issues uh, in the med spot space. Like, so you have resources that you just don't have access to. And that just like takes a big burden off for most people. Yeah, I think, you know, there's twofold. I think about all that you just mentioned just alone, those those few things, attorneys, marketing, you know, there's the margins are good here, but they're not that good. You think about all the things you have to have to stay compliant, to compete, to have the latest devices, as you mentioned, to have all the products on your shelf, to have, you know, great injectors who are being trained all the time. Like all of a sudden you look up and you're working really hard and there's not a whole lot of money left over. So I feel like the, the GPO or the aggregation of cost has to be a significant win for a practice, but also... You mentioned, you know, the opportunities for jobs. I think about this a lot, too, because everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, which I totally get. I'm not. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't own AR. And I actually like it that way, right? I can keep growing and scaling. I don't have to have the risk, but I can keep doing what I want to do, how I want to do it. But I have the benefit of someone else being in, in charge at the end of the day. And I think we are obsessed with entrepreneurship in this industry, but there's such a different alternative to that, to be part of a big organization, to be a VP, to be growing and learning and training and doing all the other things that just it's a different it's a different challenge right it's something different to your point they've been doing the same thing it's new and different so i think the staff often get really apprehensive but this to me is like the golden pathway to do so much more in your role if you're ready to do more well and even basic things like you know most of the practices we buy because you're part of a bigger organization 
we can offer some better benefits. Like, you know, usually they get, not everyone, but for the most part, almost everyone. And if it's not better, we make adjustments. But, you know, most people get better health care benefits. Most people get a better 401k match and some of those other things you get as part of a bigger company. Um, so I realize there is a lot of apprehension. And honestly, as we know, aesthetics is full of emotion. Um, and that's probably the most challenging aspect is just kind of managing the, the emotions of the whole process because change always causes a lot of people to be very nervous. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I kind of just come back to like our whole business is like owning and partnering and running great practices. And the goal is to do that just a little bit better than we did before. And if we do that, we're going to help more clients be happier and more empowered and more confident and feel great about themselves. You know what? And that that's going to be a, it's a wonderful feeling for everybody. Yeah. At the end of the day, the patients win. They have access to more, more things, more devices, more procedures, hopefully better trained staff as you are able to do these training events, which I think you guys have a big plan in place for training and really scaling that model. So yeah, I think through that as a practice who's coming into this, he's like, okay, I'm ready to do it. I'm attractive to you. You're attractive to me. We're going to date for a little while. What's it actually look like, you know, from a, a letter of intent perspective into like, do you open up the books if you're the practice or how does it actually happen where we decide that we're the best fit and we sign the paperwork? Yeah. So I think there's a, there's actually some great podcasts and uh, Ben and a few others have done them. I'll kind of simplify it a little bit. So usually there's a, Hey, let's learn stage. And that's where you learn about the company, the management team, uh, the financial backing and the strategy. And almost every practice that I'm talking to, you got to nail those things. Because if you're going to sell your business, you want to be confident that whoever's going to steward that, you're good at. You want to make sure the management team is really strong. You want to make sure the financial is really strong and that they have a track record of whatever success that you think is going to happen in the future. And then you want to make sure the strategy makes sense with what makes sense for you. And every company kind of doing this has a little different strategy. So let's say you get to that point. Then what you'd normally do is you'd sign a confidentiality agreement so we could you know, share some information. And usually uh, we just need basic financial information to do an analysis. Uh, some practices have this kind of well organized, others not so well organized. And if it's not so well organized, you might want to lean on some you know, CPAs or other consultant groups to help you get it organized. But once you have an organized financials and we understand kind of what devices you have in your practice, you know, how many employees you have, what your lease looks like, we can do a financial analysis. And so we would then share that financial analysis with you. And eventually we would get to a place where we would have what's called a letter of intent. And this letter of intent just signifies, hey, here's the value that we place in your practice. Here's what we would agree to acquire you for. And here's the terms of that agreement. Um, if you like what that looks like, uh, we would then move to the next stage. You would sign it. And then you would go into kind of an exclusive period where we kind of finalize the deal. I usually tell people, this is kind of like a marriage. You know, we're, we're kind of negotiating a marriage um, no one's trying to win a negotiation. We're not, uh, we're not filing for divorce, so I don't need to win and get the best deal. You really want everyone to come into the marriage very happy about what our future 30 years looks like together. Um, so you kind of want to have a deal that everyone's happy with, that you're excited about the future, um, both currently and then what it's going to look like down the road. So that's what we do. And then as you go through the process, uh, it usually involves, there's a process called quality of earnings. And this is a third-party company who comes in and analyzes all the finances to make sure that what was in the letter of intent matches and makes sense uh, from a earnings standpoint. And then there's just a bunch of paperwork that happens. Um, you got to make sure you have a good legal firm. I think the number one piece of advice I would give people is make sure your lawyer has experience doing healthcare M&A. Uh, don't just use your, your cousin or your friend or whoever did your real estate deal. They're probably a great lawyer, but there's some unique aspects here. 
um, that takes some time to get through. And I will tell you every single practice that I've talked to at least three times during this kind of post LOI to before you close, you think I made the wrong decision. But you get through it, it's fine. Yeah, then we close the deal, the money transfers, and then you're part of AMP. And then we start talking about how we're going to grow together. So uh, the whole process can move pretty fast. Generally, it takes oh, about four to six months from LOI to close. I have seen that getting a little bit shorter uh, because everyone's getting a little bit more knowledgeable. Their books are in order. Um, it can go faster. It can definitely take longer as well. But that's generally what the process looks like. Well, I can imagine the cold feet do happen in the middle of it. Someone's like, no, walk down the aisle. You can, you're already in your dress. You've already got your hair fixed. Just walk down the aisle and get it done. But I, and you know, it is like a wedding that does happen. Uh, hopefully, hopefully the planning up front is good enough that you don't have any unexpected uh, things like that. So yeah, I think we're, um, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, we've had quite a, quite a success, knock on wood, of getting kind of LOIs to uh, over the finish line. And I'm very excited about the partners we have on board. I was, just yesterday, I was at two of our partner practices down here in Florida, kind of meeting the staff and strategizing about how we can help grow them a little bit more with some marketing strategies. Um, that's the fun part about the job, once you get the people on board and, and you're kind of part of the bigger picture. Well, I think that's where, you know, as I look at AMP, because I work with a lot of, you know, SkyTel, other people who are doing the same thing in some way that are asking us about who to buy, what to do. And I, you know, I say to practices, like what you guys are able to do, because you've all been in the industry or in some part of this world, you know what you're looking for. Like you walk into practice, you know how to market, you know what the product should look like on the shelf, you know how they should talk about them with their patients. Like, because you know so much for you to walk in and help them to grow, it's like you already, you've caught up, you know, you already know. I think a lot of the firms that are out there looking for practices to purchase, they are true PE firms who have no one, no in-house, you know, subject matter expert they're just out buying because they hear that we have a lot of money in aesthetics and i think there's a huge gap there with integration when they purchase them the whole like integration flow is kind of a kind of a mess you know I, I know that you guys take that very seriously and work very hard on that part so what does that look like you know after we do get purchased and you know i'm part of your world now people think there's radical change i don't think there is radical change hopefully if you're buying good practices there's not radical change but what are the kinds of things that are very quickly looked at and you know you decide we should fix this change it enhance it whatever. Yeah, that's a great, you know, definitely agree with you. And I do think um, the kind of management leadership team is one of the differentiators for AMP. Um, again, there's a lot of good companies and there's a lot of opportunities. So there'll be a lot of successful people, but we definitely think that, you know, Nicole has run practices for 10 years, like very successfully turn them around, um, improve them. So like the person at the helm of the whole company, at the end of the day, she's a small business owner. So she gets what it's like to run medical spas and plastic surgery practices. Um, you know, to your point, like I've probably seen a thousand practices in my eight and a half years just out in the industry and, you know, with Botox and Dysport and Restylane and Juvederm and, you know, AMI and Gain and all these other things that I've been involved with. So, you know, I've seen a lot. And I think more importantly, what I'm able to do is that we've actually been able to hire some really great people. Um, some people who have also been in a lot of practices who have expertise in things that I'm not even very expert in, but know how to improve practices. Um, so it's interesting. I think every single practice we've acquired, even the best run practices, my marketing team can step in and actually add value from day one, which I didn't actually anticipate. But there's actually, even in great run practices, there are ways to get improvements right away. So I think that's the one thing. We definitely have people who know the business, have marketed for practices, have marketed for the companies, have built training programs. Um, so you have people who like know what it's like to run the business. You have a leader who knows what it's like to run the business. And then we've hired regional operating managers as well who have also been practice managers. So they know what it's like to run practices. So you have an infrastructure of people 
that just kind of knows aesthetics and has the right balance of people not from aesthetics to help us kind of look for new ideas and uh, new ways of doing things. And then we also have an integration team. So we kind of built this kind of integration team. So whenever we acquire someone, when you get kind of right down to the end, you meet your integration lead, you have a dedicated person to make sure that when the deal closes and everything comes over, um, everything goes smoothly. You know, you got to think about things like how do you transition all of your accounts and get the payments on the new credit cards and get the payroll shifted over from whatever you were paying them on to our new payroll system and make sure the financial things get moved over. You know, we got to move our pay-per-click spend from whatever credit card you put it on into our new corporate kind of pay-per-click deal that we have. So there's a lot of operational things to make sure that all goes smoothly, but you know, we've built a team that knows how to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest differentiator. Just like everyone thinks they can get into aesthetics and I'll tell you in eight and a half years here, um, not that there's, you know, unique and special things about the U S aesthetics market, but like, there's just a little bit unique and special about the U S aesthetics market. It's not, it's a lot like a lot of other businesses, but there are important differences that are just different. And if you don't have a good kind of perspective on them and understanding of those things, you can kind of put your foot in the mouth a little bit. So I think that's kind of probably one of the most important things is just having people who know what to look for have kind of seen a lot of the issues and challenges. Um, I would say everyone who goes through it, like, there are definitely unique things with every practice, but for the most part, it's not a challenge we haven't seen before. Um, and they are kind of bumps in the road that generally we can overcome uh, if you understand what that bigger picture is. And, and again, like, you know, part of the benefit of AMP is we're investing in things that you probably can't invest in by yourself. So you just got to remind yourself of like what some of the benefits are. Yeah, I think about the access, like corporately, you know, corporate accounts like Galderma Allergan now saying I'm one practice getting, you know, probably rack rates in a sense. And now we have, you know, 21. What's the benefit to me now? I think there's a whole, it unlocks, as you and I know from being on that side of the business, it unlocks a whole new world when you have purchasing power like that. But I'm thinking about as you're talking, if I'm a person who owns a practice, I'm the injector, we'll just say, you know, med spa specifically, I'm the injector, I'm also the owner. I can imagine there's like a moment where you're like, that's off my plate now. I can just be an injector again. I can think about patients and outcomes and the thing that brought me here in the first place that I enjoyed doing, I can just go do that. So do you see them? I know they have to usually stay on for a certain amount, you know, a period of time, but wanting to just like being fine with, I want to just come work here again. Like I want to be part of the everyday crew and do what I love to do without the pressure of having to think about, to your point, payroll and bills and, you know, recurring subscriptions on my credit card and all the other, all the other chaos that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, we definitely see that. And there are definitely time periods where we ask people to stay Although the interesting part, like for the most part, if, if you're concerned about like how long do I have to stay, that tends to be a sign that you don't understand kind of what we're trying to build with AMP. Almost everyone that we sign up with, they actually want to stay because they're also invested in the bigger picture company and they understand what we're going to build. And the track record of our financial backer is usually um, build something for the long run and kind of sell minority interests along the way versus a full sale of the company. So you're actually thinking more of like, how do I build something to last? Like Nicole always says her dream is that, you know, someday when people talk about aesthetics, you know, they'll probably talk about Botox because Botox has, you know, been around for a while. It's got some pretty great equity, 20 years and, and all that sort of stuff. But we'd love for them to talk about AMP as one of the other things they talk about when they talk about aesthetics. So it's definitely a bit of a pie in the sky dream, but it's also probably not unreasonable if we kind of continue on some of the pathways we get to. Yeah, I touch on too the other thing. Well, you know, it's great to talk to the, you know, all the companies and sure you got a lot of leverage because you're big and you can negotiate. Uh, I would tell you the more interesting thing as I've talked to people, and maybe this is just my bias coming from, you know, the manufacturer side. Um, the conversations I have more are, yeah, certainly we'll give you a good price because you've earned it and, and you're justified with it. 
But more importantly, let's talk about how we can grow and what kind of resources can I deploy at scale to grow that we can't as individual practices. And I think that's where I'm getting the most interesting traction. Sure, we'll get good prices and yes, you'll get a little bit better price than whatever you purchase. Uh, but you're also gonna get some resources you wouldn't have access to otherwise. Because I think a lot of these companies recognize, you know, especially with kind of the organization that we're building here, some of the leadership, um, we kind of understand that whole idea of the best way to grow a business is to grow your top line. And the best way to grow the top line is to partner with the growth things that really, really work. And if you can scale those aggressively, you can have a dramatic impact on the overall business. And I think we can start to deploy and bring other things to bear that are really hard to do when you're just one, two, or even four or five locations. You know, once you get to 20 now, maybe 50 or 100 down the road, not too distant future, we can do some things pretty substantially that uh, other people can't. And the companies that I'm talking to are very excited about how we can make that happen. Uh, I think about, you know, pilots and things, because you have such a huge, you know, you've got a critical mass of practices, but people often get upset about, you know, I don't get the benefits that, you know, so-and-so does. I'm thinking, well, if you're the manufacturer to invest in like an AMP group where I have 21 practices, and I'm sure it'll be soon 50, 60, 70, 80, their return is also high. They're also a business, right? They're trying to make money too. And so I think what you mentioned about top line, you know, price is one thing. We all talk about price all the time, but at some point it's diminishing returns. Like it, another dollar off, like what does that really mean to me, right, in the long run? But having practice consultants in, having access to the first, you know, of anybody that gets it to do, you know, beta programs or pilot programs, that's the kind of stuff that you look at a business in five years, that's a turning point. You know, that's a place where you say, gosh, will we unlock that capability our practice grew, you know, 5X, 10X, a new patient acquisition because of that thing. Like that's the stuff that you builds loyalty, builds relationships and builds, you know, that long-term partnership. So I love the idea that you can, you, you qualify now, that's a bad word to use it. You qualify now for all those benefits because, because there is size and because they know that you're a good steward of their funds because you also have a very big interest in being successful too. And you'll pay attention and do it and you have people in place to help, you know, pull it through. But well, and I also think, you know, the other thing I'd add to that, Tiffany, is I think what we've kind of trying to design with AMP is a support system to make stuff like that very executable. Um, and I will say, I think that's one of the differences, you know, kind of with my background, like I, I understand how the companies need to operate to execute. And I think we've designed an infrastructure that will be able to tap into that pretty easily to help our practices grow. So um, that's a little tricky to figure out for many people. Um, but uh, yeah, and listen, we're gonna grow. We're gonna keep adding great people. I will say that's one of the really interesting challenges is like, how do you find really great people in a growth mode stage for a company? Um, we're spending a lot of time kind of interviewing and finding the right fit for people and building the right culture. Um, I was talking to one of the people on my team the other day when we were talking a lot about culture, because I think we've kind of got a really exciting thing going on, right? Like we're growing fast. We've got a great leader. We've got a great team. It's a really strong story. Um, the thing we really need to make sure we're investing in is what's that culture look like. And one of the things that we are talking about that we really want to focus on is just having a culture of appreciation. Just appreciate the jobs that everyone does. And we have a big company now. We have front desk people, estheticians, injectors, doctors, medical directors, back office people, corporate people, integration people. Like there's a lot of people with a lot of jobs um, and you're moving fast and you just, you got to have a culture of appreciation. So I think we're, we're trying to build that culture of appreciation um, and also, you know, the other thing I always talk to my team about is I want to have a culture of we do great work, we have a lot of fun while we're doing it, and we learn some things along the way. So we're we're talking a lot about doing great, having fun, learning things, and then just building a culture of appreciation. Um, I think anyone who's ever talked to Nicole in particular, like, she's so approachable and very real and authentic. 
and this idea of appreciation and authenticity, I think really begins to permeate a lot of what we're doing within Maine. Well, and that's where my mind goes. You mentioned that. I think about the person coming into the industry who's wanting to get hired somewhere. Like, what an amazing place to walk into to say, I'd, I want to prefer, or I'd prefer to work in an ant practice because I know when I do that, I have access to training. I get the coolest, newest, latest gadgets and things to learn from. I have access to all these other experts who are in my in my world. If I have an, a vascular occlusion, I have an incident, I need you know advice on my practice. Like I have this network immediately where you know you know this. They're oftentimes alone on an island. Like they go into a small practice, they're new, no one's there to train them. They're going to free trainings from Galderma and Allergan, learning limited amounts of knowledge, and then paying a fortune to go to you know conferences and things. But as a person coming in, I can imagine it's a huge benefit. I know that you love training like I do. We both are big training nuts. And you've got lots of plans in place. You've got people there who are focused solely on training. What does that look like? You know, how do you scale this model to your point about consistency, you know, systems, processes, people, also keeping the culture in but maintaining the skill set across all organizations? How does that operate at, at your size? Yeah, great question. I think you know, it's important when you talk about training, there's two big components to it. So one, there's the the clinical training side for providers. And then the second thing is like, there's the practice experience training side. So I'll kind of break those up into two. So first on the clinical side, I think the first rule is we have great MD and AHCP providers who are gonna help drive those clinical protocols. That is not a commercial decision. It's not a decision I made. We leave that in the hands of the medical experts within the company. They're gonna write the protocols, understand safety, and actually emphasize safety first, even before efficacy, because the most important thing is understanding how do you have safe protocols? So we have a clinical team that will do that. Um, uh, we'll announce a lot of those people here shortly, uh, but we have a number of great partners that are going to build that capability. And then the second thing is, then we're going to build a capability on how do we train and educate all these people? Um, and I think there's really a number of components, two major ones that I talk about a lot. So the first is like the industry is growing so fast, there's just not enough providers. There's not enough estheticians, there's not enough injectors, there's not enough doctors. So we need to build a program to help new people come in the industry, be very safe and highly productive very quickly. So we're going to build that. We're going to build a little kind of AMP fellowship program. I call it a RAMP program. I don't know if the name will stick, but it's a rapid acceleration for metastatic providers. Um, so we're going to build that um, and we're going to place people in practices. And if they love it, you know, we're going to make sure that those costs are forgiving and they're going to be great amp providers. Again, a lot of details to work out still. Um, and then the other thing I talk about, you know, we have a lot of great providers right now and we need to amplify their skills. So they need access to what's the best training. Um, and there's a couple of things there. So one, we need to build some internal training um, just so it's easy and things like that for you to access and get access to our great people. Uh, two, we need to partner with some of the best training organizations out there so they know where to go. So it's not just like, oh, I've got a training budget you know, which meeting do I go to or what weekend thing do I go to? But we'll have some recommendations of, you know, who some of the best partners are for doing some of that thing, some of those things. You know, and then the third thing is we have great trainers in our group um, within AMP. And so, you know, we're going to build a number of trainers so that you don't even have to go outside. Like you can actually just stay within AMP and get some great training. So I think that's on the HCP side. And then on the practice side, uh, we're also hiring some people so that you have amazing customer experiences. Like you really want to have those wow, like what's that Ritz Carlson? What's that Disney experience? You want to make sure you have some of the best leadership and development training. And you know, most of these frontline people managers don't get a lot of training. Well, we're going to build that. We're going to give them some of the best in training. Like I got at Eli Lilly growing up. 
Um, we're going to hire some people who are actually going to go around and assess practices for what's the customer experience and how do you bring that to a high level. So I think, you know, the capabilities we'll be able to build are going to lead to things where you have clients who have the best experiences. And if clients have great experiences, everything else kind of sticks together. Yeah. I mean, are you hiring? Because maybe I'm looking. This sounds like a place I want to go. <laughs> I mean, uh, we are definitely hiring. We are definitely hiring. Uh, I know you and I have talked about that in the past, although I think what you're doing with Aesthetic Record and uh, the growth that you guys are seeing is pretty fun. It feels like you got a great team. And I'm actually just trying to hope I can hire a team that's as uh, motivated as the one you've got at Aesthetic Record. That's for sure. Well, you mentioned culture. That's, you know, we talk about that all the time here. If If we're all moving in the same direction with the same fuel in our belly and doing the same things the right way, ethically, good decision making, and you know, the rest will kind of follow. Like things are so much easier when that check mark is already made and people are happy to be there and they want to do the right thing for the customer, in your, in your case for the patient. So I feel like that's, you know, if you're tackling that as your number one place, like that, you couldn't be more um, in line for success. And I love the idea of just training in-house, training with partners, you know, outside of your organization. I think about that all the time with practices, too. Like, find organizations and partner. Find people to help you to share the resources, to share the load, to band together and try to become like a little, you know, a little small GPO, if you will, and try to go out and get better prices on things or, you know, better tickets for our conferences and stuff. But to me, that's where you will see, I think, the cream rise, you know, when you guys have this well-trained, buttoned-up, you know, good business practices, ethical decision-making, great patient outcomes – across all these practices, that's where the difference occurs. And so my question in saying that is, looking at your crystal ball, can folks compete long-term when they're in a market with someone like you? Like, will they be able to long-term go up against an ant practice or any private equity company practice who has, you know, investments in the practices and stay afloat? Because I think as we look at the franchising or the the, um, disenfranchisement of our industry and people coming together and, you know, forming these groups can they survive or do you think it's going to be a you got to be with us or you're against us kind of model yeah i mean so it's a good question it's a question i think on a lot of people's minds Uh, i'll give you a bit of a nuanced answer Um, because the short answer is yes there's a lot of ways to be successful Um, this industry is growing really well i was just giving a talk earlier today and you know in the financial crisis aesthetics took a dip and then bounced right back in COVID, it took a huge dip and it came firing back if you kind of take all that out over the long term, this business has been growing about 10 to 12% a year on average for a long, long time. It's probably not going to change too much based on the demographic trends, the health and wellness focus within the economy or the world. Uh, so I think that's all pretty good. So, you know, I kind of go back to my basic business school lesson. You know, I was a consultant before business school and it was really va- very basic. Rule number one, find a really good market. Well, aesthetics is one of the best markets out there. Um, rule number two is find a way to be differentiated in a really good market. Well, I think with an AMP, we've found a way to be differentiated uh, and on the early phase of a trend that typically happens in very attractive industries that are very unconsolidated. So do you have to join a company like AMP or some of these other partners? No, you don't have to. Um, there are very cert- very clear benefits that happen if you do that. Um, but as long as you have that mindset of like, how do I just have a niche? How do I be different? How do I make sure I'm in a good, attractive market? You can certainly be very successful. Um, you know, it might be a little bit harder and you're going to have other challenges that you wouldn't have if you were part of a big company like AMP. And similarly, if you're part of a big company like AMP, there are certainly other challenges that we have that don't exist if we were just running, you know, one highly successful practice. Um, but, you know, there's going to be lots of ways to be successful, but 
Um, I think with what you're building, what we're building here, it's a big thing that people could be part of. So if they wanted to, you know, we'd love to talk to them. And there's other people, again, with other strategies that, that make a lot of sense, too, that might be better fits for other people, too. What is like, you know, as as I hear you say that, I think about practices that I think could could compete and could survive. But to your point, it'll be hard. At some point, it'll be very challenging. Look at dental. I think in dental, if you're not part of a group, it's extraordinarily hard. If nothing else, from the infrastructure part of it, the technology, the the levels of management, the way the business sophistication, you know, sets up when you've had an AMP kind of investment versus, you know, you're doing it on your own. But if you think about like the blue ocean to use your consulting background, the blue ocean of, of aesthetics, what is that? Like, what do you think is the thing that, you know, as we look at this industry that no one's doing yet or, and don't give away all the trade secrets, but that we need to be yeah. thinking about, you know, I know regenerative is a big part of it. Health and wellness. You mentioned that. I think that's, that's a huge part of the next look at semaglutide. My gosh. But what yeah. comes next for us as we think about the whole industry moving in, in a direction? Yeah, I think there's two big things. Um, I think, you touched on some of the kind of exciting product-based trends. Uh, the regenerative side of things in particular, I think, is going to be the back half of this decade. You'll see dramatic explosions in some of these regenerative and biostimulatory capabilities that will pretty dramatically change the way we can kind of treat people, um, address some of the actual underlying signs of aging. That's going to be really very exciting. Um, but there's two things, actually, that I think are really interesting that no one's been able to crack yet. And I think we're, you know, we're definitely going to try on the AMP side. So one is... Uh, people in general in aesthetics use data very, very poorly. Um, one, the data is not great. Two, you have to invest in some bigger tools and technologies to get great data. Even like an aesthetic record as great as it is, it's really hard for people to understand how to pull as much out of there as they could to really make decisions. So you get a lot of people who tell you great stories, but they're not actually making fact-baked decisions based on data. Well, when you get to the size of AMP, the data infrastructure that we'll have will allow us to make really good decisions to help practices in ways that's really hard. So I think the data story is one that is going to continue to evolve because aesthetics is nowhere near best in class from a data standpoint. Um, even Allergan, where they have a huge data labs team and they're incredibly sophisticated and there's some amazing people over there, you know, they're still working through all the practices. So there's only so much that they can do until we kind of get all this stuff stitched together. So that's going to be one big trend. The other big trend, and you've heard people talk about this for a while, uh, I do think the technology is finally getting close. You should be able to, as a patient, get interested in a procedure or a practice, go to their website or Instagram or whatever other page, understand what they have to offer, assess yourself, determine what you want to get treated with, purchase that treatment, book that treatment, sign up for whatever loyalty and membership program they have, and show up at a practice without ever talking to anyone and feel great about it. And there is a very, very small handful of practices where that happens. But very soon, if you don't have that capability, like you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. Um, I think it's something we're going to try to build within AMP. Uh, not going to be easy. But I just go back to the basic patient demographics. And I use my wife as an example. You know, I've been here eight and a half years. So she obviously loves her disport and she loves Botox, depending on which company I was working for uh, at the time. Uh, I've got to see what she loves now. Uh, but what usually happens is we put the kids to bed and she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm moving again. Can you book me an appointment? And I'm like, well, it's nine o'clock at night. So the only places that I can end up booking an appointment, I either got to wait till the next morning when I forgot or you go on and whoever's got online booking that's really easy to use is kind of who you end up going to. And, you know, there's a lot of great providers that we know who do have that. But that like simple story, like I saw a stat it's more than 50% of uh, people want to book outside business hours. 
So literally, if you're if you don't have like seamless, simple booking, you're losing half your potential clients. Uh, that's a big issue, and that's just on the client side. Now we're not even talking about things like AI-driven assessment tools, visualizers, and all those things that people have been working on for quite some time that are starting to get to a place where you can really integrate them and help people make really good choices. Um, and then you talk about all the fintech stuff that people have been looking at as well. So I think there's a lot of pieces that people have been talking about for four or five years that are all starting to come together in a way that can create pretty wow patient experiences. Um, so sure, you can try and put that together by yourself as a solo practice, and a lot of people will be able to do it. Uh, but having that kind of team kind of looking at that and assessing it and building those capabilities with integration thought through um, is a big advantage. I think that's definitely going to happen uh, in the not too distant future. Well, I can tell you someone who just built that um, part of that, you're looking at double digit millions of dollars to get that done. So um, those of you who are at home think you can do it on your own, trust me, you can't, or you can definitely take my job, please. No, but we're we're launching. To your point, that's you know the writing is on the wall. We've been doing online booking for a long time on a set of record. I think our our data is like sixty five percent of our appointments are booked outside of business hours that are booked online. So we know that people are doing it all to, all times of the day and night. Um, and membership programs, they book those you know themselves. They do their own paperwork their, themselves. You know, we've we've done some math. I think it's about eight minutes per patient on the phone to book. You look at a busy practice, eight minutes a person per week per day per. I mean, my God, how can you get anything else done? And then you walk into practice and they hand you an iPad and say, do your paperwork. The other day I was in a practice and I was like getting my semaglutide and they hand me an iPad and I'm like, what is this? Like, you couldn't just send this to me via email? You don't have a patient portal? Like, no, you have to do it in the practice. Like, for what reason? It's digitally done here. Why can't I digitally do it at home? So it was just another 10 minutes I had to wait in the waiting room and do all the paperwork. It's like, it's just not a good user experience. But we're launching a platform within our booking software where you can buy your promotion online, you can do your gift cards because people don't need to talk to the practice like they really don't need to. And even when they do, people always say, well, if I don't, if they don't call, they'll book for the wrong thing. They're going to book for the wrong thing anyway because your front desk person only hears half the story. So no matter what they do, they're going to book for the wrong thing in many cases. Just get them in the front door and then you convert the lead to whatever you want them to be when they get there. But I agree with you. I think this idea that you have to physically be part or be present in this booking experience from a lead generation standpoint, it's not sustainable. It's just not. What you need to do from your in-practice experience, which is why yeah, I mentioned it before, we're actually hiring someone to lead all the healthcare professional training stuff. We're also hiring someone to lead the practice experience training. And so if you really kind of play all this out, what happens when you walk into practice when you've already paid and booked and are signed up for loyalty is very different. Like that experience needs to look different. That consult needs to look different. That actual treatment experience needs to look different. And so you have to train people to do that. So you need people who are thoughtful about kind of building those capabilities too. Red Carpet, they've already invested in you. Like they're they're part of the family. But I do think, you know, chat, GPT, we've been using it here for quite a while, a long time. The capabilities of AI right now are just absolutely insane. And things you can do with AI, I think, you know, this. you were at um, OC Octane with me, that's perfect core. We can do your own assessment, look at your skincare needs, you know, recommends products and things. Like those are the ideas that I think you and I were talking about, you know, five, six years ago. You put that in practice you calibrate what good injections look like and then have someone model their before and afters against that, you know, that, that what good looks like kind of model. You can start to see skill set diversions. You can start to see what are the best, you know, methods and techniques and amounts for different kinds of faces. And you start to map out the entire process for an injector in an AI format. I mean, literally technology could take this industry into such incredible directions, but at the end of the day, it's still artistry. There's still the human contact part of it. You know, once they're in the practice, you have to wine and dine them and love on them a lot, as we know. But getting them there can be far more automated. You know, the other thing is, at the end of the day, I always tell people, you know, this whole business ends up with someone literally a foot from your face sticking a needle in it. So 
it doesn't matter how great the AI is or how great the digital is. Like at the end of the day, this is a really personal business. And I think that's part of the reason that these kind of personal practices with great experiences are so great. Um, you know, I kind of go back to the other analogy I use a lot is like, you talk about restaurants, like sure there's a lot of national chain restaurants, but when you want to go to a great restaurant, you go to like the bespoke restaurant in town. You might not know that that restaurant's actually owned by like a bigger organization that has bespoke restaurants in a lot of different cities, but that's where you go when you want a great experience and you want to go to the great chef and, you know, they wrote it up in the local magazine or you read about it on Yelp or whatever online thing you're looking at. Uh, and that's still going to be true. I think no matter what, because at the end of the day, we're a very social kind of society. Um, the clients that we have, they want that personal touch. They want to have someone they connect with. You, know, you don't let someone put pool sculpting pedals on you or burn your face off with a laser or stick needles in your cheeks if it's not someone you trust. So building those trust capabilities are, is never going to be something that goes away. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's what separates us from other industries. Even medicine is, this is a very intimate business. I mean, to your point about you're close to their face, cool sculpting all the, you know, gosh, doing booty, you know, BBLs and things. It's very intimate. And I think the part of the fear of private equity coming in, you know, just, and even me thinking about scaled organizations, you know, chains, franchises, is you lose that intimacy feeling. So I love what you guys are doing to say this this practice can retain its identity. It can retain its its local bespoke feel but have an, an underground engine or a background engine that is corporate and buttoned up and cost-effective and efficient and automated, but the patient feels still the intimate the intimate nature of the business without any of that part really And that exposed. is the benefit of our financial backer is his whole philosophy is you hire management teams with expertise and you empower them to run and you build things that are going to sustain. And that's what Nicole wanted when she came on as CEO. Um, that's what they want to build from a business standpoint. Uh, and I think that's the type of people that we're hiring. So, um, and those are the type of practices that we're partnering with. So yeah, it's been a really interesting time for me. It's, uh, you know, I kind of flipped from manufacturer side into the distribution side of the business, um, but it gives you a new set of challenges uh, and a really exciting thing. You know, there's very few times in your life where you're like, holy cow, we're a chance to build something really big. And not everyone wants to build something really big. I'll be honest. Like some people want something that's already built that they can just kind of run and, and go with. Because um, there are definitely challenges to the building part. But if you like that, you were in a great place. And that's always been where um, I've been thinking. And that's where I always get my most excitement. You know, I, I love the building phase. To your point, like I always got a lot of credit for kind of seeing kind of how things stitch together in the future and how the puzzle pieces fit. Um, I usually think that's because I try to listen to people really well and hire really good people who know what they're doing. Um, and that kind of helps you do that. But that's definitely where the industry is going. Um, and I think there's a few people out there, us included, who have a pretty good sense of how to get there. And we'd love to partner with more people who do. So, Well, as we wind down, I want your last thoughts on what's next for you. Um, and then let us know how to get a hold of or find out more about AMP website information, Instagram information. Yeah. Because my guess is that lots of folks are going to hear this and understand really what it is that you're doing and how it is what I feel very different than what's in the market right now. And they're going to be very interested to find out how to get in touch with you. So Tiffany, I think I'd love to leave you with kind of one of the most interesting learnings for me over the past little bit, you know, cause I, I went from Galderma to Allergan and then I've left Allergan to join AMP. And I think my biggest learning is the world's a crazy place over the past few years. And the more you can just have like a lot of grace and understanding for other people that goes a long way. Um, everything that I've kind of had, um, from a job wise came from someone who recommended me, even the same thing. It came from a doctor, Dr. Weiner, 
who recommended I talk to somebody who was then like, I've got a great opportunity for you. And I've got a number of stories of ways where that happened. And honestly, I'm just incredibly grateful for the people that I've met and uh, their belief in me. So I think, yeah, I've kind of had a reputation of always just treating people fairly, taking the positive view of everyone, being very clear on kind of who I am as a leader. I mentioned it before, uh, what my philosophy is. Um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But really just, you know, everyone's going through different things um, in their life, in their work, in their personal. So just like kind of take the positive and and take the have grace and understanding for where everyone's at it seems to have led me to a good place and i think in the world we live in today a little bit more of that wouldn't be a bad thing so i guess that's my piece of advice um i don't know how it relates to anything but it's definitely kind of something i've been telling my kids and my wife and friends and i've just been telling everyone like this is my biggest thing it's just like just like be happy for everyone like be positive treat everyone the right way you know, and everything's going to work out just fine. So if you want to learn more about AMP, um, it's very easy. Um, you can certainly go to the website. It's uh, www.weramp or W-E-R-A-M-P.com. Um, we are on Instagram, although it's more just for uh, awareness right now. Uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, I think most people know how to find me, but, you know, you can DM me on Instagram. It's DrewFind24 um, or shoot me a text or email email is just define at weramp.com. So we'd love to kind of talk to more people. And uh, I really appreciate spending time with you. It's always good to chat. I love what you've built with uh, for the record and just watching your career grow and flourish and how you're in a place that's uh, very positive for you has kind of warmed my heart along the way too. So um, congratulations what you've built and thanks for having me on today. Well, I appreciate that. And you had such a huge part of it in the beginning well, for the first, gosh, long time. So we've done some, we did a lot of fun and crazy things together, Drew, and I hope that that continues. And I can't wait Always. to see what you guys do in three months, six months. Like, it's going to be a case study to see how how quickly this thing will, will ramp up. I love the fact that we can say amplify and ramp and all the fun words. But for the record, I have loved having you on. Enjoy Florida. Enjoy Miami. And I have just, I've learned a lot about AMP today, but also about what we can do as an industry and how we can move forward. So thank you for sharing all of your insight. And I hope to see yeah, you very a, soon. Yeah, it's a great industry. I think AMP's going to play a nice part of it, just like Aesthetic Record does and like many other people do. And, you know, I would say the nice thing is it's it's not, it's competitive, but it's not a competitive industry. There's so much opportunity. There's so much growth. There are so many ways to win, uh, so many ways to be successful. And those are great places to be. And be good to your neighbor and be, I agree with you, be graceful and thoughtful. And we're all facing our own battles, so Throw out a lifeline when you can. I think that's a phenomenal advice to end today. But Drew, I'll hopefully see you very soon. Hopefully, to Static Next 5.0, you'll be there. Maybe you'll I will. do some I'll be talks. On faculty, I think that's the plan. I hope so. But for all of you who are listening, we will see you guys next time for the final four episodes of our season three. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.